What's up, everyone? Yes, it is I, your host, Natalie Morrison, and you might be thinking, wasn't this called Swim Masters? Well, yes, it was, and you're definitely in the right place. We decided that we wanted to give the podcast a bit of a makeover, and we're so proud to introduce to you Revoicing the Future, a Women of NAM podcast. Don't worry, it's still the same content, still the same hosts. We just wanted to take this to the next level. And we're excited that you're joining us on this fantastic journey. The episode that you're currently listening to was recorded before the name change. And I just wanted to let you know that you are in the right spot. So keep on listening. Be sure to subscribe and stay tuned for all new episodes of Revoicing the Future, a Women of NAM podcast coming soon. Welcome to Swim Masters, a podcast dedicated to help connect, grow, and support women in the music products industry. I am your host, Natalie Morrison. The Smart Women in Music Fund was established in 2018 by Robin Valenta, Dee Dee Hyde, and Crystal Morris to expand diversity, inclusion, and support for women in the music product space. Twice a month, I will sit down and host virtual conversations with various women across our industry to help foster mentorship and growth. Now, without further ado, Let's dive in. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Swim Masters. I'm your host, Natalie Morrison, and I'm here with Stephanie Lamond. Hi. Thanks for having me back. She is popping in for the intro today um, because we have a bunch of things we wanted to discuss with you before the episode. Yeah, we're winding down for the holiday break. Um, and this is just like, it's just Natalie's and my time to debrief on anything that's going on. So it's, I like to pop in and we say what's up in the our little corner of the music industry, which, yeah, to start it off on a sad note, I'll let you take it away. But it's like, it's, it's an honoring note. I an guess. honoring just, note. Yeah, we'll um, strike that tone. Unfortunately, our friend and pal and... Amazing human, human goddess, (laughs) business genius. Oh, Kit Culpepper, who was the director of channel strategy at Martin Guitar, passed away, and she was on the podcast. She was an absolute amazing human. I wish I got a chance to actually physically meet her in person and I am sad that that never actually happened but the impact that she had on me was just absolutely astounding in that hour-long podcast recording that we did yeah and me editing it I remember I wasn't on that one but that was just the early days before we had wonderful Julia thank you Julia um but just she still has this most incredible wise flowy flowy in terms of like she was so so well I know you're going to share a quote that's probably very about this but she at a time for me was so inspiring to me about just trusting the flow of your journey your career journey that you're gonna be where you're meant to be and um she made a huge impact on the swim community she was and then Nam at large, she was a, a panelist on Believe It Music Week this last year. 
and one that my dad did and on careers in music business and um yeah just the the uh, for for a young person in our industry the uh, the impact she made was absolutely tremendous and we're going to miss her presence so much yeah and she always referred to herself as major kit and I think going forward, we're all going to have some major kit energy following Heck us yeah. wherever we go. But a couple things that I wanted to revisit as we're honoring her um, is she referred to herself as the floating feather in the Forrest Gump movie. And I just love that metaphor. Um and that she always landed where she needed to land. And I can honestly say that her feather was meant to land in our lives. And I'm so happy and grateful that it did. Um, she also said a couple of things that I wanted to share. Um, if you haven't listened to her episode. But she says, be as authentic as you can be. Be as true to your strengths as possible. Be the VP and president of your passions. And Kit, I think you did just that and inspired so many people along the way to be their VP and president of their passions. So I hope you're looking down and you're smiling and just we miss you so, so much. And thank you for being just a light for everyone yeah yep and if you haven't listened to kids episode yet go back and listen episode nine give her give her a little honoring she i mean we it, that's there was so much wisdom packed in that and we were so lucky to get her for the time that we did um in this world in this industry so exactly yeah man so thanks kit and sending some love out to you wherever you are from all of us in the the swim community, um, trailblazer for for ladies in in the music business. So and yeah. Asian ladies in the music business, man. Oh my god, I looked up to her so much in that realm as well. So she was just on so many fronts, just such an authentic, bad ass person. Bad ass man, man. Thanks for existing, Kit. Little little honoring there. And on that note, we. We'll shift gears to, I know you're talking to another awesome gal today that I think, so Kit was part of the first swim summit, was she not? Yes, she was. She was. Cool. Trisha Howe, she was a member of the second class of swim summit attendees, and we totally dive into her experience with that. Mm But um, for those who don't know her, she works in educational services for Long and McQuaid Music in Canada. She is our first guest outside of the United States. No way. (laughs) So rad. Woohoo! We're expanding. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of crossover, obviously, between the United States and Canada, but her perspective on what the music music education industry is like in Canada was really, really interesting. Um, and we just had a blast. So I hope you all enjoy it as much as I enjoyed chatting with her. And, um, yeah. Also, this is our last episode of 20, 
21. Wow. I literally feel like it was yesterday when I was like, it's last month of 2020. Like, <gasps> oh my God, exactly. <laughs> I heard that in my mind. Yeah. And now it's last month, 2021. Well, it will be tomorrow. It's still November, but what man. is time? What is time? I it has ceased understand. to be existing. It's absolutely wild. Well, but I hope we'll all get to see all y'all at NAM in June. So Hell yeah, there we go. That'll be our long game stoke. We will be back sooner than that, but just wrapping up 2021. I can't believe this is still our lives. You know, I know that's a, that's a whole nother bonus episode in of itself. Like how the music business world has changed thus far. Hmm. You know, we should ideas, talk about that. We ideas, should talk about ideas. That. Maybe that's the that's next big. episode. Maybe that's our new year's, our new year's kind of theme is <laughs> looking, <laughs> looking forward. What do we see coming on up? Oh my God. It's going to be a blast. Cool. Anyway. Well, Enjoy Trisha's episode, y'all. I can't wait for everybody to hear it. And yeah, Natalie, we will talk soon. See you on the flip side. Much love, Kit. Hi, Trisha. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. We're so excited to have you. I am so excited to join you. Flattered, honored, all of those great things. Thank you so much for inviting me. Of course. So to get started, we want to get to know you. Can you walk us through your career journey and your history in the music industry and what you're doing today? I can. I'll, I'll, I'll make it as, as, um, as brief as possible for you because it it's been kind of a fascinating journey. Um, I actually started out in university going to be a scientist. I knew this from the time that I was in sixth grade and I had decided exactly where I was doing my undergrad, my master's, my master's, my doctoral work. Um, I was actually going to go to UC Santa Cruz because they were doing amazing research in aquatic mammalian intelligence. So that's what I was going to do with (laughs) myself. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so that didn't, didn't exactly happen. I got halfway through my undergrad and realized that wasn't actually the direction that grown-up Trish needed to go. Um, So I went and did some aptitude testing and everybody thought, gee, you should be in PR and marketing. So I did some coursework and I was thinking that I was going to get into commercial real estate development at that point. And um, while I was waiting to go and, you know, get my license and do all of that stuff, I fell into the music industry and I've been here for, oh, getting close to 27 years at this point. Um, I fell into it and I love it and I, I couldn't be more excited. So I started in outside sales with a company I'm not with now. Uh, I was with them for about two years. It's all been largely educationally focused. Um, and then in 1997, um, <laughs> I, <laughs> right? I can't talk about 1997, but anyway, in 1997, I started um, with Long and McQuaid and I have been there ever since. It was neat because I I'd left my other job. I'd been unemployed for about two weeks. And I went over and I said, um, so um, you guys got any jobs? And the the answer is, well, it's September, you know, come on in, fill in some some rental contracts and we'll see where it goes. Um, and yeah, like I, that's been 20 odd years at this point. So that I'm I'm really quite fortunate. I started out with Long and McQuaid uh, working in the band department on the sales floor, doing the retail stuff. Um, and sort of developing what their educational offering was. Um, 
we had outside sales reps in our Toronto location. So in the, like the bulk of the Canadian, okay, let's talk about this really quickly. So yeah. everybody sort of gets this part. Yeah. So Canada, ginormous country, right? We're roughly the population of California spread across the land mass of the former Soviet Union. Wow. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so we have all kinds of interesting logistical things, regional things, all of that. Um, and the bulk of our population lives in the province called Ontario, which is sort of uh, due north of parts of New York, parts of, of Michigan, um, sort of that part of the world. Um, and we had some reps happening there, but we didn't out here on the flatlands. I, at that point, was living about two hours north of Grand Forks, North Dakota. I'm now about five hours, that five hour drive, right? Two hour drive, a uh, five hour drive north of Montana. Wow. So just to give you a, an idea of if you're playing the geography home game, uh, <laughs> just to give you an idea of roughly where I am, um, that's, that's sort of how that, that happened. So it started above uh, North Dakota. So I, you know, developed what our school offering was going to look like, what outside sales would look like in that position. Um, did the entire geographic region, which would be about the physical size of North Dakota, South Dakota, and halfway through Iowa, um, and then got enough business happening that it was worth hiring another person. So we had two of us doing that. And then it's just kind of grown and expanded and mutated since. And I, I now live um, in southern or in south central Alberta. So that's again above Montana. And um, I've moved from being an outside sales rep and, and doing that stuff to doing um, market development, PR, connection, all of that with the educational services market. And I now manage a team of 13 ed reps. Wow. Um, and, and work with the stores that don't have ed reps to, you know, sort of solidify their um, educational services offering, which of course is, we're a, a full line chain. There are 90, I want to say 96 of us, but that's a fluid number. There are, you know, projects coming in and going out at, at different points, but there are that many of us across the chain, uh, across Canada. So that's huge. And when I first started, there were 16 of us. Wow. So I thought you were going to say like, growth. I thought you were going to say 96 stores across Canada. And I was like, oh my God. There are, there Wait, are 96 stores there are across 96, Canada. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, they're super rare. Oh my There's god! A bunch of us. Oh my gosh! Wow! Wow! Yeah. <laughs> so there are oodles of us, right? There's lots of L and M's. We're you know kind of anywhere you need us to be, we're there, right? Um, yeah, and I look after school stuff for that that chunk uh, sort of above the Midwest. Um, and I there are five people who do my job around the chain: uh, one for British Columbia, one for Ontario, one for Quebec. And one for the East Coast as well as me. So that's amazing. Yeah, it is. It is the best job ever. I Aww. I could not have accidentally found something <laughs> this good if I tried. And yeah, there were. I mean, anything that you build, sometimes you run into stumbling blocks or hurdles or plateaus where you're like, I'm not really sure I want to keep on this thing. But you know, I've I've always had such great support for the company to build things that don't exist, and they've always kind of you know, back my player looked at me a little askance and said, well, let's see what you can do. And That's then amazing. off I go. And yeah, it's, it's really fantastic. It's a, it, it has been a great company to work for, for sure. Oh, I love, I love to hear that, especially that they're giving you such leeway, I guess, to find the things that make the company that much better. It's amazing. 
Yeah, I've I've definitely got to give them props for that because I I go to the person I need to ask in whichever situation it is with my, you know, this seems like it would be a good idea, but also I'm a lot more about the ideas than the structure. I've had to learn to be good at structure, <laughs> so I like to run it by a grown up before I get too carried away. But yeah, yeah, it's been it's been really amazing to be able to do the things that they have supported me doing for sure. Amazing. So aside from work. And wanting to get to know you a little bit more, what makes you, you? Like, what are your hobbies or the things in life that bring you joy aside from your job? So probably the biggest thing is writing. I write a lot of prose and I have since I was about five years old. Wow. Um, so I, I kind of escape into that. I, um, I, I went a really different path as a musician. I always had music in my life, but didn't realize I was a musician until I was in my 20s. Um, when I realized that my voice was actually my instrument and the organ that I'd studied for 10 years and the saxophone that I'd studied for almost 10 years, just um, there's a reason that I didn't get far on them because they weren't the passion that the voice actually is. Uh So I was, I, you know, came into, I was already working in the industry before I realized I was actually a musician. Um, But that's okay because it it worked out really well. So uh, writing, music. I love my garden. I love to mess around digging in the dirt and and that kind of stuff. Um, I like long car rides, which is really good when you consider what I do for a living. But I like that windshield time thing as well. Wow. Well, that's that's really interesting that you mentioned that you discovered your voice as being your musician in your 20s because it just shows that like you don't have to be a musician when you hit fourth grade and you choose your instrument or like you grow up playing or and and whatnot I think it's really cool that you can fall into it music can find you at various points of your life that you just don't ever expect so that's really cool yeah, I was I, I found it really lucky. And it's funny because I, I did grow up surrounded by music. Like my dad was a guitar player. And um, it, when I was a very little kid, all of his friends would come over on the weekends and everybody would bring their guitar and play. And when it was time for me to go to bed, they would play a specific song and sing me up to bed. Hmm. But I thought this was normal. I thought like everybody did this. No. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, But, you know, when you're five, what do you know? Right. Right. And then, you know, anytime the family got together at Christmas, like dad's side of the family was was where the the music piece of it came from. I carry a lot of each of my families, but but the music stuff was really fostered from that. And my mom was behind me taking lessons the whole way through and insistent that I would be in music the whole way through because she's a teacher and she knows how important that is to development. Um, so, yeah, but I, I, <laughs> I have a very low voice for a woman in my singing voice, so when I would try and sing like a girl when I was a kid, I super didn't sound like I could sing at all. And then, yeah, when I, when I got older and just sort of let it be what it was going to be, it actually worked. Yes. So that's so funny. My family is the same way. I come from, come from a very musical family. So my grandfather, you'll hear him like playing the piano and like my parents are both musicians. So I totally relate to that experience. So that's really cool. Yeah, I, I often joke, like, you haven't lived till you've heard my family sing The Lion Sleeps Tonight, oh right? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, I love Something that. like that. <laughs> so you are our first guest that doesn't live in the United States. And I want to touch on how the music industry and music ind- 
music education differs in Canada compared to the United States or if there are like, what are the similarities and are there different challenges or similar challenges and whatnot? For sure. I think I have for a very long time considered Canada and the States to be sort of a parallel universe. Um, I've spent a lot of time uh, across the border in the States. I I actually have a snowbird place in Arizona. Hmm. Um, But I mean, when, because I grew up so close to the border, like we would go down to Grand Forks for swim meets or we would go down. Funny story. I was a swimmer before I was a swimmer, Um, (laughs) but we, (laughs) but we would like, so we would go across the line all the time. It wasn't a big deal. It was just something you did. Um, So I I have a, a bit of an understanding. And of course, as I've gotten older, I've had a number of friends in the States. So I've gotten to learn a lot about how that looks. Um, and, and we really kind of are a parallel universe. Like Starbucks here tastes a little bit different. You can get ketchup chips here and you can't get Mac Macintosh toffee there. You know, there's just these weird little things, but it's a lot the same. We're a little bit more socialist, but, um, generally speaking, it's, it's, it's close enough that it's not super weird to compare the two. Um, one major difference that we've had in terms of mus- of education in general, music education specifically, because it pertains to this, um, is that our education is run by provinces, which is which are our equivalents to states. Um, so they hold the responsibility. So each province is different. Mm. Um, whereas in the states, it's a federal mandate, from what I I can see, like all the ESSER granting and everything. We didn't do any of that because, of course, we don't have a federal mandate for education. That's so interesting. So in some ways it's almost been, it's been interesting to watch it through the pandemic because of course, you know, if you get when, when the Colorado study information came out and we got it to the right places, people were allowed to play safely mitigated, et cetera, no transmissions, all that stuff. Um, But if it didn't get to that level, things got shut down, things got paused, things got shuffled. So it's interesting to see how each region is kind of coming back to itself and and incorporating music into the lives of their students again and with with the things that we are so focused on right now um societally and in terms of education and industry like diversity equity inclusion and access um like um like looking at um at how you would would get into those things, how you would make sure that people were represented, social emotional learning being such a huge thing. Um, the eye is sort of on that. So we're not getting huge, I, I shouldn't say generally blanket statement, we're not getting huge cuts because we all have to be mindful and, and aware of what's going on everywhere. Um, but a lot of people were able to continue to make music, even if they had to pivot. Mm. So that's been really interesting in terms of the industry itself. Um, that is maybe a harder conversation for me only because I focus on such a small part of it. Right. Um, right. Like I, I think about this and I, so I, you know, I, I'm, I'm in regional management within the company. That's awesome. Uh, But I look at the size of the company and the scope of, of the things that we do. And I don't know that I could speak to how guitar sales or PA rentals or any of those things were going in comparison the way I can with band or with orchestra or with choral or, right. you know. And I think, and, and that's interesting though, because like, obvi- like in the States in particular, like we saw in the pandemic, that guitar sales like skyrocketed, but 
the band and orchestra market, like, because of the fact that, well, in the States, like, you couldn't play in schools for a while and there were all these precautions mm-hmm. and whatnot. So those, the band and orchestra markets have decreased suffered. and suffered and they're starting to slowly come back. But I think there's still some app, like apprehension from people about, can my child play a wind instrument? I mean, a string instrument is a string instrument, but yeah, particularly we talked about that a little bit. Yeah, we, t- we were talking about that a little bit today, actually, when we were talking about what can we do for programs that are in a situation where they weren't able to either A, keep going with a little pivot or B, um, actually, you know, do something like what, what can we do to help them get the kids back? Because there are students out there now who have had absolutely zero exposure. Mm. And, you know, how do they know how much they're going to love being in music if they haven't had that kind of exposure? And I think that's happening to them, not just with music, but with everything. I I have friends who have had babies during this time and they're such COVID babies. They've never really been socialized to family in public because they haven't been able to, to take people out safely. Right. So I I think that there are a lot of like larger scale things we're going to be having to focus on for a bit. Um, but yeah, we were talking about the joys of the blowy, spitty instruments. <laughs> and and, I, right, and I, I have to give credit to the folks on the team for that. I think it originated with Adam Stockholm, who's our, our director of band, print, and orchestra um, and education. But, um, but yeah, I thought it was a, a delightful thing. And um, But it's true. There was a lot of concern about that before. And I think information is the big key to that. Um, NAFME, NAFME, NAM, um, all of those organizations have done great work to get that information out to teachers. Um, I haven't seen a lot that's in a super consumable for parents format, although NAM did a really great video um, that that was very shareworthy and all of my reps sent out to their people so that that people could sort of have an idea that, yes, there are safe ways to do that. The science says we can. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, having gotten through a year of it without those transmissions that everyone was expecting has sort of reinforced that, that, okay, what we're doing is okay. This isn't, you know, this isn't where the outbreaks are coming from. This isn't a thing, you know? So it's it, that's been very comforting to see because, you know, I mean, ultimately, I very frequently describe my job as, um, doing whatever I can to make it so teachers can build better humans through music. Mm. Yeah. And right. It's, this is the thing, right? We want kids to be well-balanced, awesome human beings. And part of that is having a creative outlet as well as your intellectual, as well as your physical, as well as your, you know, you need an emotional outlet, you need these things. And, and I think building well-rounded humans that way is really important. So I'm glad that we're starting to look at being able to get back to that work. I totally agree. Cause it, Right. Like, I think kids are going to need it now more than they ever have. And I I say kids and really I apply that to anybody who's under 45. I'm 48 and I apply that to pretty much anybody under 45. And I frequently walk into a group of people my own age or older and say, hey, kids, what's going on? So uh, (laughs) if you're not a fan of the word kids, it is in no way meant as an insult. uh, Because, yeah, I never, ever intend to grow up. (laughs) You're a kid at heart. Through and through. Not doing it. Not doing it. (laughs) I refuse. It's not happening. My mom is also a music teacher, and she said that the first time that all of her students actually played, she was able to have them play outside, like, six feet apart mm-hmm. safely. At the, It was either at the very end of the school year last year, I think. Um, 
she said she got really emotional because it was like the first time after so long of like not being able to be together because music is something that's supposed to bring people together. And it's a, an activity that you share amongst others. And I think people, I'm really, intri- I'm really intrigued to see when more of, when more of those things happen, because I think that moment for a lot of people is going to stick with them forever of like, wow, like this is what music is. Like, this is what it means to be musicians together in one place. Yeah. I I think you're completely right. Like, I mean, for a lot of people, I think things slowed down, stopped, or really, really vastly changed during the pandemic. And I I mean, for me, absolutely they did as well, but not in a, a truly bad way. I was able to see amazing silver linings the whole way through, but I hadn't been around live music for a really long time. And I'm, I'm doing a little bit of work right now covering for one of my reps that I've just sort of rehired to replace. So I've been in schools a little bit lately and I walked into drop off some reads the other day uh, into a class that was in the middle of a rehearsal. And it was the first time I'd been in a band room when the kids were playing. And I just kind of went, right. (laughs) It's like, it could have been the worst thing ever, but it was the best thing ever. And it wouldn't have mattered what they were playing. None of that would have mattered. It was the joy and the beauty of these people coming together and making a sound. Um, They were getting ready for their Remembrance Day concert, which is what we, you have Veterans Day there, we have Remembrance Day here. Mm -hmm. Um, So we do all of our our observances at the Cenotaph and and there's always the the bands that play and all that stuff often at um, our legions, which are kind of like your, um, uh, I know this. Anyway, um, but they're, they're kind of like where your veterans go and hang out, your um, VFW. There we yeah. go. I knew <laughs> that I knew that. <laughs> it's, you know, it's kind of like being from Canada, you eventually learn to speak in both Fahrenheit and Celsius because we measure everything oh, in Celsius. Oh, yeah. Except that I'm still five foot ten, not X many centimeters, right? Like, I still know that. Oh, my God. Um, right. But, you know, water for us freezes at zero. So when we talk about zero and you're talking about, what is it, 32? Yeah, 32 degrees. Um, you know, they I, we have to do that little translation piece. But I, I think it's kind of that same thing that there's just. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was so good to to just walk into that classroom and be like, ah, I am home. And I can't. Am- I'm so excited that so many kids are getting that experience. Yeah. As grownups, we've had some of those experiences already. Um, and we know that we can make them happen again as soon as there's a safe way to do them. Uh, so all we have to do is shut up and be patient. Right. But the kids who have never had that kind of experience before, they, in some ways they're blessed because they don't know what they're missing. But also I think it leaves gaps because they don't know what they're missing. And I want to be there to see those faces when they finally get it. Yeah. I, I agree with you so totally. So... For those listening who may not be aware, a big part of SWIM's mission is to host uh, an annual leadership summit experience where a select group of women are, are at, go to the NAM headquarters and um, it's a three-day intensive where they bring in a professional development coach. And you happen to be one of the participants of the second um, summit, which happened this past October. So Could you share um, a look into the summit for those who haven't attended yet or are interested in potentially applying for the next one next year? 
Yeah, absolutely. I was over the moon to be um, selected as, as one of the people. There's a there's a bit of a process to it. I have a few friends who were um, on the first one. I was part of the second one. Um, and they suggested that I really, really needed to just get in and do this. So um, I went through the application process and lots of communication about like, okay, pending COVID, pending travel. Yeah. <laughs> I really like to do this, but also uh, we are in a pandemic. So I'm, I'm also pragmatic about that. Um, but it was, I think going through the process taught me a lot about what I wanted to get out of it and where I really am in my career and in my, my concept of, of wanting to be able to I've spent a lot of time sort of building where I live um, in terms of work, in terms of my voice within the industry, within the music ed community, all of that stuff. Um, and I'm the kind of person who likes to go and do that and, you know, kick in a door or two when necessary <laughs> or knock and ask or whatever the appropriate thing is. But I like doing that. I like building things and breaking new ground. And while I was filling in some of the essay questions for the application, it occurred to me that not all people, not all women are built that way to know that, understand that, even to know where to start with all of that. Like, I never fought with <clears throat> strange gender roles within my family. Um, when I was three, the thing I wanted most in life was a bulldozer for my sandbox. So my parents bought me one and my Barbies rode a bulldozer through my sandbox. <laughs> But I like I didn't have to fight these things. And, you know, if if something had to happen, whether it was knocking down a wall or, you know, cleaning the barn or or whatever it was or babysitting, it didn't matter uh, what your gender was or your your orientation or your expression of gender was. It mattered that you were a human being who was warm with a pulse and could therefore go and do this thing. Um, but it made me think about the fact that not all women and not all people come up that way. Mm -hmm. um, so that really made me think about, okay, so going into this, knowing that, that I'm going to have feedback from a bunch of different sources, knowing that I'm going to learn a lot about leadership itself, but wanting to learn how to apply it to myself. My big goal going in was how do I take what I've done over the years um, and make it so that it is useful for people who are underrepresented and aren't having their voices heard where they need to be heard. So this is very much a work in progress for me. I am still learning that part, but the summit was amazing for that. It was amazing for, um, if you've never done a 360 skills assessment, I highly recommend it. Um, Basically, what happens is you go in and fill in this little survey about what your strengths and weaknesses are, and then you have a bunch of your nearest and dearest in your work life do the same, whether they're your direct reports or your management or people you work with in the industry or people who do similar jobs, um, but they go through and assess your skills the same way you just did. And then you really get a chance to look for the places where you have insane opportunities for growth to sort of like reinforce those things, you know, you're amazing at. So that was one of the big things for me was, was I, I like to think I'm fairly self-aware and it was really great to learn that, that in some cases there are things that people consider my strengths that I would never have considered a strength. Mm. Um, one of the things that uh, it's, it's Dr. Jennifer Hall, who was our, our coach. She was absolutely amazing. Um, 
And one of the things that she said, I think it was our last day, she said, now we're going to talk about the things that make you burn bright versus burning out. Oh. And I thought that was one of the most deep sentences I'd heard in a very long time. Um, So we went through this other um, assessment that we'd done where it broke our skills down into the things that we are very strong and actively using things that we are, you know, still kind of, we don't realize are our strengths and probably should use more things that we've forced ourselves to learn to do. Um, and things that maybe it would be better to have another person do for you because you're never going to be amazing at them. But it was so good to sit down and look at that and think, yeah, I don't have to be amazing at everything. I don't have to be great at everything. I have to know who to talk to who's great at those things. That's so, so it was a really neat, right? It was a really neat experience in, in learning what to let go of in that way. And I, I, I probably can't say this often enough, but I loved being able to hear the stories of the other women who were there and where they were from and the different experiences they'd had. You know, we had people who had been uh, company owners, uh, their families had owned companies and they were now the owners and, and people who were absolutely at the top of, of that business organization. We had lots of people who were uh, operational people, like chief operations officers. And, and I, it was just, and then we had, you know, people like me who do this, um, this hybrid between retail and outside sales and market development. And then we had um, folks who work for distributors or for manufacturers or in other educational components. It was just a really neat group of women and we had a lot of great time to kind of hang out and learn from each other and and we also had a lot of time being at NAM headquarters to get to know some of the board members and some of the people who work for NAM and learn more about what NAM does like I mean NAM isn't just a show that people go to which might be what you think if you've never um really sort of embrace that. And I, I think that's something that I want to make sure that that people do know that there are lots of really great opportunities and support there. Yeah. Um, you know, everyone I met who was either on the board or the exec or works for NAM was absolutely amazing and right there ready to help and get to know everybody. And it was just, it was really great. And I, I highly recommend that um, just for, for all of that. I, I think that for career development, yes, absolutely. But I almost think the personal development side was stronger, at least for me. Amazing. You know, getting more about yourself and how how best to use that in, in good ways was, was really outstanding. Oh, I'm so happy you had a really good experience. And I really love that sentence of how learning how to burn. Right. Because right. we just talked a couple of episodes ago specifically about burnout. And burnout is, has been a big topic for people, especially with the COVID situation and working from home and balancing work-life balance and, and all of that. But we focus a lot on burning out and not burning bright. I, I love that. Isn't that amazing? Oh. I know that was that, that was exactly my response too. So Jen, if you're listening to this, thank you. You are an amazing human being. Also, um, if Stephanie yeah, is listening right. to this, like her and I were, we're always on this burnout train and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like going to text her right. after this, be like, Stephanie, <laughs> like, we got to burn yes. right. <laughs> I, I think that's sort of like my overarching concept leading out of this is like, 
I, I've always believed that you have to shine, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm all for this burning bright concept. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so one of your fellow summit attendees, I will not name names, um, but <laughs> it was Hillary. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it was Hillary. Yeah. Thanks, Hillary. <laughs> she shared <laughs> that um, that you are really interested in coaching um, and just the importance of mentorship. So I would love to talk about what that means to you. I know we talked about this prior to recording, and I really loved what you said in your email. So I wanted to rehash that here. Um, so what? why is mentorship important to you? I love this. And I'm, I'm really glad that we're talking about it because I, there, I don't think that I at least knew how many potential mentorship organized structured situations there were out there. And it's possible because I'm old and have done this forever um, that back then there weren't, Mm -hmm. but I'm loving these things that are starting to emerge. Mentorship has always been a huge part of what I do. I remember and I laugh about the coach part (laughs) and it being tied to swim because when I was a kid, I was a a competitive swimming coach. Mm. Um, Right. Yeah. I coached our little new guys when they were (laughs) first getting rolling. So swim coach, ha ha. Um, Pun totally intended. (laughs) Bad dad joke. You know, I can tell those, right. That's not a problem. Go for it. Okay. Awesome. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so I, you know, I've, I've always thought that we learn best from the people around us. There are a lot of people, um, as I, as I said, I work in education and I, I've sort of over the years become a specialist in repertoire selection. Um, and that is an entirely experiential education Mm -hmm. that is in no way learned from a book. My theory, she is terrible. Um, but I have really good, um, oral skills and really good intuition about repertoire. And it's, it's turned out that, you know, I can help out pretty much anybody at any level. So I think that all of that came from me asking questions. Um, when I started, like I I mentioned in the beginning that like, this was not what I thought I was going to spend my life doing 30 years later. Um, but somehow it became this thing that I really loved. Um, and coming into it without the same kind of background, like without an ed degree or without an MBA or without any of those things. um, I basically went to the people I was going to look after and I said, tell me how I can make your life easier. Mm. And, you know, or when we'd be talking about repertoire, I'd say, okay, well, why is this arrangement better than this arrangement? So I can learn all of those things. And I, I think that, that mentorship is the reason that I am who and what I am now. Mm. because I, I go through all of my time learning from people and it's, it's amazing. Like I've, I've been through about a hundred thousand band clinics. I could probably give one despite not knowing how to conduct, right? Like I could probably give a clinic if I tried really hard, but because I've had so many amazing people to learn from. Um, And one of the things that we kind of talked about is like, if you are newer to the industry or there's something you really want to learn and you see somebody who's really good at it, how do you, how do you do that? Uh, And I think it comes down to a a couple of different things. I think that you have to ask yourself a question first. You have to say, am I the kind of person who is comfortable talking to strangers? Um, For me, the answer is yes. I, I'm actually an introvert, but I have a really good stage persona. 
So I am comfortable going to somebody and saying, hey, you know what? I saw this thing that you did on blah, blah, blah day. It was amazing. Do you have some time at some point to talk about it? Because I'd like to learn what you did. Um, and because we're all passionate people and people who are great at things are usually passionate about them, most of the time your answer is going to be yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's 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 the truth of it. People love to be recognized for the things that are important to them and are usually very willing to share them. Now, on the flip side of that, if that is not something you are comfortable doing, this is where all of these great new organizations are coming in. Like we at Long McQuaid are starting a women's mentorship group. We're starting with women because it's something that we have a number of women can support, can grow. Um, I'm not in the planning part of it, but I do have a mentee who's a delight and I learn from her all the time. Oh, I love that. Um, right. Like I, so I, I mean, I don't want to get into the specifics of it cause I am really not the person to speak to that. Um, but I'm glad to be able to be a resource. Like I batted my head into enough walls that, that if I can share something that will make somebody not have to do that, why wouldn't I do that? Right. So so that's been really great. So so look for structures like that. Like there's the Nam Young Professionals Organization. Uh, I, I think there were a few more that, that we were talking about that. Do you want to do you want to share? Yeah, those? I know. There, so yeah. there's the Nam Young Professionals Organization. Um, if you're interested in learning about the audio space, there's Women's Audio Mission, Grammyu, if that's applicable to you. Um the list honestly goes on and on, but there's on on, so right? many organizations now for different sectors of the music industry that provide these mentorship opportunities. And it's awesome. Well, I mean, even just, not even just, because of course this was like my gateway into this whole thing. So it was like a gateway for me. Mm -hmm. It kind of brought me into the understanding that I'd spent a lot of my career um, learning the things that I needed to do to support educators versus necessarily embracing the industry side of what I do. So I've really been enjoying sort of that interesting byplay between the two things now that I'm aware of it. Um, so yeah, I would suggest absolutely like swim does meets swim does assorted hangouts swim does the master's podcast. You know, that is a great place to start. If you are a woman in the industry, who's looking, you know, for people who have been there. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I absolutely advocate that 100%. Yeah. I also love how you said that you're an introvert, but you have a stage present. Like I, like I'm the same way. I call myself an introverted extrovert. Like I, I, yes. like I need to be, I know when I need to be on, I'm on, but then like, you'll see, like I need three days I off. Need to, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need to sit in my bed and watch Netflix. It's just good. <laughs> I can't people anymore. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know how many of the people listening will, will be people who attend Midwest, but the Midwest clinic is something that is very near and dear to my heart. Mm -hmm. I, I love it. I get to see all of my people, like a lot of people from Canada go. So I get to see a lot of people from parts of Canada that I don't always get to. Um, and I get to see all of my American friends and my supplier, manufacturer, publisher friends. Like, it's just this amazing old home week kind of thing. But I got to tell you, like I do a week of that and I, I need to... And it's always right before Christmas. So I get out of that and then I go into the, you know, the, the family Christmas thing. Um, and by the time that's done, I need a couple of weeks off in January to just not. Right. And then Nam happens. <laughs> if it's in, like, if pre-COVID year, then Nam would happen. And it is, you do the right. whole thing again and then you're like, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, yeah. It, no, no matter who needs me for what, I just need to not for a while. <laughs> yeah. 
that's that's very much it. But yeah, like I'm I'm super excited to see these more formal structures coming in because I in many ways, not having structure wasn't a problem for me because I've had to learn to be good at structure. Mm. It's not my first language. Um, my thing is usually, yes, now I'm going to make that work. Yeah. Um, right. So I, I, I've often found myself <laughs> at the mercy of that. Um, but yeah, like, so yeah, that I think my best advice for people is that get to know people that are doing awesome things. You know, if there's something that you feel like you need, figure out what you need support in, where you need to grow and find people who you love the way they think and the, the way they act and the way they do in those things where you don't feel like you're super strong. And that way you can kind of shore yourself up a little bit. And that's to me where the mentorship part comes in, because any any time I've found myself in that position where I don't where I know this is not my thing, mm-hmm. I find somebody who is. And, you know, kind of get through that piece with them, learn what I can from them. And then if I notice that it's like flipping all kinds of switches for them, see, this is why I am wildly fortunate to have a team. Um, I have some people on my my team of ed reps who are a little more like me and a little more like cartoony and running around and causing everybody to have fun and doing all the big public showy things. Um, And I have some who are very detail and structure oriented and, you know, they love to design the order forms or to figure out exactly the schedule for this or create a report for that. Why, if that's the thing that brings them joy and makes them burn bright, why would I deny them that if it's going to burn me out? Right. <laughs> it's it's a series of, right. It's a series of ways of letting go. Um, when I was much, much, much younger, I remember like when I was working, when I was in my teenage years, I was such a control freak that I had to do everything myself, blah, 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 blah. You know what? No, I super don't. I really don't. I need, I need it to happen. I need it to happen. Well, it doesn't have to sound like I did it. It just needs to be done and done well. And if you need help, I will help you. That it's just gotten simpler as I've gotten older. Yeah. I love that. I feel like I say that a lot. But I do. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, though. This See, again, this this fills my bucket. I like to give people things that are useful, practical, or at least funny. Like, if you go golfing with me, I'm somewhere between cautionary example and comic relief. <laughs> like, I, you're just know thyself, right? Uh, yeah, it's really like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, final question. A couple final questions um sure it's amazing that you've been working in this industry for as long as that you have like 25 plus years you mentioned earlier um how have you watched the industry especially your sector of the industry evolve since the beginning of your time in it there are so many things and i i'm not even a hundred percent sure where to start um some of it hinges on how the company i work for has grown in that time, because of course, like I said, when I first started, we had 16, one, six stores, and now we're somewhere around 96. Um, we had provinces where we didn't have stores and now we do. Um, we've developed all kinds of different things, um, that are sort of adjacent and, and, and it's been kind of amazing to watch that progress. Um, in terms of even just technology, um, we sit here recording this podcast and I need to say for the record that when I started, we did not have email. 
my cell phone plugged into the lighter in my car and it was in a box with a wire. (laughs) The first survey I ever sent to my client base to find out how they wanted me to do this job since I wasn't doing it for my own health. Um, I stood beside the fax machine and sent out 300 of them. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So from the text, like I laugh about it because theoretically the tech should have made it so that we could get more done and have more time off. Really, really that's not not even vaguely true. No, no, (laughs) (laughs) right now, instead of standing behind beside the fax machine, while I fax 300, um, surveys to people you know um now i'm instantly accessible to thousands of people at any given time and i'm obsessed with not with not you know denying them and making sure that i give them as much access as they need so um i can't say that's been you know a thing but but then again we look at what's happened through the pandemic and i cannot begin to tell you how over zoom and virtual meetings i am uh, yeah i think we all are but i am Right. But I'm beyond grateful that we had them. Yep. And I'm really excited about being able to use them as a supplement, you know, because if, if, if I want to get together with my team, who's spread across the prairies, um, I can get together with them, you know, every six weeks on zoom and then do a really important in-person once a year. Yeah. Rather than flying everybody in a couple or three times over the course of the year, they get there the morning, they leave in the afternoon. Like what, what exactly is that? Right. Accomplishing. Right. So so I'm excited about these sorts of things for technology and the potential. Um, Like I said, I mean, for for how the industry has changed, that's a tough one because we've grown so much in that time. And I don't know how much is company growth and industry change. Um, So I'd I'd have to really do a deep, a deep think and, and some digging around on that to know that and give a really good answer on that. But but I know that it has. And I'm I'm mostly very much in favor of the directions we've gone. Um, and then, um, there was another piece to that question that I had until right now What was the other piece of that question. Well, I guess my, I guess my last question, and I, I'm hoping that this is where we're going is, (laughs) is where do you see the future of our industry heading? Um, was that not even close to like where you were going? No, oh. no. You know what I was, what I was trying to remember was, was I thought like your sector of the industry. So, oh. you know, education is a thing. Education is, is absolutely a thing. And it's interesting because it's, it's still something that for me, for the company offering, I'm growing. We don't have ed reps in every store. We don't have uh, like, it's not along oh, McQuaid. Obviously they do that. We're not known, we, we're getting more and more all the time known as, as an ed place, but we, we weren't um, out here anyway. It wasn't the first language that people perceived from the, oh, that's the, the gear store. Mm. Um, so I think that has evolved a lot. And I love the direction it's gone because now we are viewed that way. Um, but in terms of the industry itself and where is it going in the future? Whew, um, that is That is a big, let me just fetch my crystal ball moment. I know. I think that... Right. I think that I think ultimately that as has sort of started to really show during the pandemic, we are probably going to be in a position where people are going to take and run even further with the idea that music can be a personal thing. Mm. Um, And I I think if I explain that a little bit, um, 
I know that in the beginning of the pandemic, there was a lot of concern, but then everybody got stuck at home and thought, geez, you know, I should pick up the guitar or I should launch my studio or I should. So I think a lot of people, I think really we're going to have kind of a renaissance that way. I think it's going to be really interesting because when you look at the music industry in general, I mean, I won't say there are no guitar heroes anymore, but there isn't just that one person that everybody's united in behind or one band that every, like it, we've all gone off in our different directions and what we listen to, yeah. which is amazing. And we have access to so many amazing and crazy things, but it means there's this huge, this, this huge amount of stuff to get through and, and not as much that's as specific and everybody likes this one, this. So I think that's going to show in what we're selling in product. I think that, you know, and, and I think we've seen some of it already. Like, I mean, who would have thought we'd be selling accordions who would have been, you know, that's a really interesting we, perspective. You know, and I, so that's what I think. I think that as people sort of like identify more and more with, like, I, I'm very much an alt roots bluegrass kind of person in most of my things. Um, my voice is way more suited to blues, but that's just too bad. <laughs> I like that too, but my family's all bluegrass. So that's kind of a lot of what I do, but I listen to a lot of like alt roots stuff. Um, and that's, shaped and changed who I am as a singer. Right. So I think that having all of these different kinds of musics to access and different ways to learn about them, like, I mean, YouTube videos on how to do this, that, or the other, like, this is all going to change in the way that we changed how we consume music. We're also changing how we make it and whether or not it has to only be prose or whether or not, it, you know, is the Wednesday night poker game band also something we should have a space for because it brings love and joy to people? I really like that perspective. Do I necessarily want to hear it, but, <laughs> but I, but also I feel like you should do it. Right. And I also think too, like how we teach music and what genres mm -hmm. of music that we teach students, especially when they're first starting out, like how do we get them more involved? Like, what are we, what are they interested in learning? I think that's also going to shape, the future of the industry um where it's not just classical and classical yes. is so important like i think learning about oh, yeah. all the genres and the history that they've brought to society is super important but especially getting younger kids like involved with what they're yeah. interested in is going to get more kids wanting to play more instruments yep and i, th I think that's it and i think i think in some ways it's still the exact same it's always been like in the industry, in, in, in the, in the selling of music products, we often, the first time we see someone is often when they're buying their first method book. And from that moment, from the moment that that particular relationship is forged, they are yours unless you choose to lose them. Right. You know, and I, I think that net, like there's always been sort of that, okay, so my mom made me take piano or violin or organ or whatever they made you take. And then you got to be a rebellious teenager and you bought some terrible, terrible thing um, and, and decided to have a, a truly horrific garage band that was full of angst. And then, you know, you kind of got to be in your mid to late 20s and got really career focused and then, you know, kind of raised the family, did the thing. And then as you got a little bit older, you started thinking, you know, I really miss playing. So and now I have some disposable income. So I, I bought myself a better guitar and I bought a little studio and I bought, you know, um, about a, a great piano for my family or, you know, um, or I decided that I loved all of the horn bands out there and decided I wanted to be a trumpet player or, 
you know, I think those things are happening a little bit later in life now, but I think our focus is that those are the things that take us back to our very own roots. And I think that's been the case for years. It's just that the process of the evolution is changing. The direction is still going the same. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because I feel like in my head it did, but I wasn't sure oh, yeah. how it no, came no, no. out. Okay, I, 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 I picked it up. <laughs> awesome. That's very, very important because I'm not sure I could say it again. <laughs> Just kidding. Repeat. <laughs> no. no. Well, Trisha, thank That's you it. so much for taking the time to chat with me and for telling your story. And um, yeah, it was amazing. So thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. This has been so cool. Yeah. I love that I am able to to talk a little bit and 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 just share. So thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to this episode of Swim Masters. Don't forget to follow us on social media, including Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn to stay up to date on all new things swim. We'd love it if you could share and leave us a review. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at smartwomeninmusic.org. This episode was co-produced and edited by Stephanie Lamond, Natalie Morrison, and Julia Olson. See you next time.